Good morning, church family. My name is Javita Dennis, and I'm a member of the University City Community Group. We would love for you to join us on Saturday afternoons in the fall, especially if you have children, because we have lots and lots of children. Today I will be reading Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found out his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him. And he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. Good answer. It's a big crowd today. This is awesome. I'm Dave Grigg. I have the, I had written down privilege. I'm not sure if it's pleasure or honor or privilege. It's one of those of getting to serve as one of your elders. Um, my wife, Bonnie, and I are members of the East Charlotte Community Group. Again, we continue to plug. Please get involved with community groups. They're starting back up in September. Jump in with somebody if you're not already. Let's pray. Lord, this is a sober parable uh, with real consequences that count. And um, if I'm going to say anything that's not of your will and your word, please snatch it away and let it be forgotten. What is from you, help us to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think Peter was hoping for? Asking that question. How often shall I forgive my brother? And bragging about having done it seven times, which is what a verse, at least one verse in the Old Testament would have required. Maybe a pat on the back for forgiving seven times. More likely maybe a pass for future problems. You've forgiven enough, Peter. 
It's on Him now. And instead, Jesus completely flips it on Him. 77 times, basically infinity. And then tells, again, one of the most sobering parables of all. And let's jump straight to the point, the last verse. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In his book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, uh, David Siemens sums up this, this parable and this warning as to the unforgiven and unforgiving, God will be like a harsh and stern debt collector. Later in the book, Siemens refers to those of us who do not fully embrace God's forgiveness for ourselves as becoming grievance collectors to other people. Yikes. And I just got to ask anybody, and I do not want to show a hands, but anybody delusional enough to read that and think, yeah, I'm good. I bear no grudges. Not me. I got to tell you straight out, I got to confess, this is a major weak spot, a blind spot for me. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> Karen's sitting here for agreeing with me on the second row. And now, I, and now, after she says that, says, that's right. I got to tell you that, folks, I am a really good record keeper of grievances. I am a world-class tally toter. I can do it. I battle this part of my old sinful nature almost constantly. That's why when Pastor Josh asked if I'd speak today, I, I, I asked for this parable. I'm talking to me more than I am to any of you. But I am talking to you too, right? Three quick observations as we start. What this parable is not teaching you earn your forgiveness from God by forgiving others. No. That is not the point. Do not take that away. Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus lived a perfect life. He was crucified he died for our sins. It paid the penalty for our sins. God, God pronounced that by resurrecting Him. You did not, you do not, you cannot, you will not, you have not earned God's forgiveness. Ephesians 2, to, let's back it up a little more. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. In other words, not a result of anything you do so that, in no, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Second quick, quick, quick observation, what this parable is teaching. Your willingness and ability to forgive is one of those good works that flows from your relationship with God, from having turned to God and sought and received His forgiveness. If you cannot or will not forgive others, it is a sign that you have never known God's forgiveness. 
There's the sobering. Particularly, particularly if you are able to travel easily or automatically with your unforgiving spirit, there is a very real question as to whether you have been forgiven by God. Third, third and final quick observation as to the parable itself. The lesser debt is real, but the greater debt is so much greater. The hundred denarii was a real debt. In other words, the second servant owed the first much more higher ranking servant a hundred denarii. A denarius was one day's wage. So that second servant owed a higher servant the amount of money for a hundred days' wages. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. But the 10,000 talents, and do you catch it's two different measures of currency? It's like comparing pennies to $100 bills. The 10,000 talents is so much greater. Preparing for this, I listened to a Tim Keller sermon on this parable, and he explains that 10,000 talents would be something like, and would have been understood at the time, it is it's like the budget of a regional governor within the Roman Empire or the budget of a satrap, that is a regional king within the Babylonian or Persian empires. It's an extraordinary amount of money that would only exist in the budget of a very big government or country. So much that it could never be repaid. Never. There would be no repaying it. And, and this was, I thought, really insightful, the loss of that amount of money would actually threaten the king's ability to govern. So when the king wants to settle accounts and he turns to his, his, his subsidiary, his, or his, 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 his uh, subordinate, and realizes there's a $10,000 or 10,000 talent debt, which is like a trillion dollars for us, it's basically through negligence or embezzlement or whatever, or someone stole it, but the entire regional budget's gone from the treasury of the, of the government. And there's no way to make it good. So those are our quick observations. And then the question becomes, what does forgiveness look like? What does this parable tell us that forgiveness looks like? In verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Forgave the debt. Pity, released, forgave. Pity. The king's heart went out to his servant. God's heart goes out to us in our plight of the debt we owe because of our sin. Empathy. The king identified with that servant and his plight. God identifies with our plight. A debt, of, a sin debt, falling short of his, his perfect character that we can never repay. To, and to forgive, you must identify with the plight of them that hurt you. As far as I know, I coined that phrase. Feel free to quote me. To forgive, you must identify with the plight of them that hurt you. 
Second, he released him. He let him go. No jail. No having to stand in the corner of the king's court with a dunce cap on or a sign that says imbecile. He let him go. And you know, you guys, I think that may be the hardest part. If you release the person that you need to forgive, you will stop holding them hostage in your heart. You will release, and I read these words and I don't like them because I ain't good at it. You will release your entitlement to hate. You will release your bitterness, your desire, your right to punish. And then third, he forgave the debt. The debt is canceled. Legally, it's wiped off the books. As an accounting thing, it's off the books. It's no longer the servant's problem. It's the king's problem. In other words, the king's going to eat the deficit. He's going to have to make it good, just like Jesus, through his death, made good our debt. An important caveat It's pity, it's release, it's forgiving. It's canceling the debt. But what forgiving is not, and I think we do a lot of this, it is not saying, you know, I guess it wasn't that bad what they did or what they owe me. Remember, it was a real debt. Just smaller. Much, much smaller. But it was real. It was 100 days wages. God does not wink at sin, and neither should we. So how can I possibly forgive like that? How can I have the empathy and the letting go and the canceling the debt? Three practical tips. Be honest with yourself. This hurts. Forgiveness hurts. And it's hard. It's costly. And here's one reason why. Only a friend can really hurt you. You know, in our current culture, you watch everything that's going on in social media and news and everywhere. I'm mad at those people who I don't know, don't see, don't associate with, but because they believe, do, or speak in ways that I don't believe, do, or speak There's enmity between us. I'm angry. I mean, yeah, maybe. But is it possible that we're all as a whole culture? Are we getting sucked into this as a country and a culture because it's a dodge? It's a way for us to avoid the hurt and not think about the hurt caused by the person standing right beside us? Our brother and sister in this room, a coworker at work, a family member, a close friend? This parable isn't about strangers. You know, you got, the, you got the parable of the Good Samaritan for that. Peter, Peter, I've forgiven my brother seven times. How much more? And Jesus says, forever. And whether you will, when whether you will and are able to do it will indicate whether you have in fact been forgiven. The folks who ought to care the most about us, about loving us well, when they let us down or deliberately hurt us, isn't that the greater hurt? Isn't that the hardest to forgive? You've got to look that hurt square in the eye. This is not pretend. This is not 
make-believe or a joke. You've got to look the hurt square in the eye first, but hear me, you cannot stop there. The first servant, the higher-ranking servant, stopped at thinking about the hundred that the second servant owed him. He focused on what he was owed, and therefore he was doomed. Because you also have to be honest about the main point, which is that we have each and all been forgiven so much more. So much more. It is not about wiping away or pretending that the hundred denarii weren't real. It is about saying, oh my goodness, look what I owed. And he has identified with me, released me, and canceled it. I am secure in that. Therefore, I have the wherewithal to let the hundred go. So be honest about all of it. Second, pray for yourself and for them. On my phone, I don't have my phone on because among the elders, we're prone to text each other while we're sitting up here on the, trying to talk to y'all. And I don't want one of the guys sending me a text and it pop up on my watch or my phone. I couldn't bring it up here as a prop. But um, on my phone, I have a prayer app. It's called Prayer Cards app. And I, anything I want to pray about for someone or an issue or whatever, I just create a prayer card for it and set how often I want it to pop up on my phone, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. And then I can put Bible verses with the person or idea that I want to pray over. You would be amazed what will happen if you will pray, pray Bible verses of God's blessing over people you are struggling to forgive. It is extraordinarily difficult to hate someone or to be bitter towards someone or cold-hearted or or want the embarrassment of someone else when you are praying God's blessing over them regularly. Pray God's goodness for and over them. Third practical tip. Take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. As with lust, gossip, whatever, so also with unforgiveness, hatred, bearing grudges, say to yourself, wait a minute. I don't, I don't have to think this. I'm forgiving. I'm forgiven. I'm God's child. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to be bitter. I don't have to continue to massage this hurt in my mind. I'm God's child. I'm forgiven. Your will, your intent, your decision will probably lead your emotions. You will do it in your head before you feel like doing it in your heart. But reminding yourself that you can is a great first step to decide to think, I have forgiven this. Between him, her, them, whoever, and me, it's gone. Those were the practical steps. This next one is more big picture. Remember that this all happens in community. In our case, within the church community of Christ Central Church and then within the body, larger body of the church, Christians everywhere. The entire chapter of Matthew 18 where we're reading this parable is a collection of Jesus' teachings 
on relationships among and between believers. Who is the greatest, not stumbling, not causing others to stumble, seeking the lost sheep. And then this, just a few verses earlier than the parable, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, if you have gained your brother, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, that does not mean go gossip. That means come talk with the church leaders, the elders and women shepherds, the pastors about it. And if he refuses even to, to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, real quick, Jesus loved Gentiles and tax collectors, hung around with them much more than he hung around with the good people. So when this last verse says, treat an unrepentant person as a Gentile or tax collector, it does not mean ostracize them. It means tell them about Jesus. It means preach the gospel to them so that they will be forgiven and changed. It does not mean cut them off. Back to the topic at hand. In the same set of teachings, right here in Matthew 18, and these, the teachings in Matthew 18 probably didn't happen all at once. It rather, as, as the Lord and the Holy Spirit worked, worked through Matthew and, and, and pulled it together, they, they took stuff on the same topic and put it in the same group. But in this same set of teachings where we are told that we must forgive our brothers and sisters, we are also given this guide for how to redress wrongs within the church. You go, some of us go, we all go. There's a tension there. Do you see it? I mean, within the same few verses, you've got to forgive or, you're, or it's a sign that you haven't been forgiven, but on the other hand, there's a, an actual framework for how we address sin that's been directed at us. Remember, the hundred denarii that the second servant owed, it's real. This is not about saying, you didn't really hurt me, or that didn't really hurt. And God doesn't wink at our sin. He took dramatic, drastic action to resolve it, and so must we at times. Whether it's a wrong, a series of wrongs, or an entire system of wrongs, we must personally forgive while at the same time being serious-minded about addressing those wrongs. But good grief, that's tension and hard to walk. And we're going to have to have tons of grace for each other as we walk that, the tension between two truths. But we do it together in community, in this church, within the broader church, for the purposes of accountability, encouragement, prayer, other support. Simply not having to be alone in the midst of something hard. And you may find it helpful to go beyond or to go into the broader church community, particularly to a Christian counselor. I've benefited immensely from counseling over my entire adult life, including now for a seemingly intractable hurt that you cannot or will not forgive, counseling would be a great next step. Having someone objectively who's trained, who's on your side, 
help you talk through it. But finally, and really, and what matters, mostly preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus, but keep preaching it to you now that you know Him. 10,000 talents, an unpayable, kingdom-crushing debt unless the king paid it or ate it himself. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As Dr. Keller put it, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And if you do turn to Jesus in faith, or if you already, ha already have and are in the day-to-day -day life of following Him, with all your mixed motives, crises of faith, temptations to be unforgiving, then the gospel is for you. Which means, as outrageous as this sounds, that when Father God sees you, He sees you with the same delight, the same love, the same approval that He sees His Son, Jesus. Preach that to yourself. Remind yourself of the truth of that. We, me first, and y'all, we are the greater debtors who have received greater forgiveness. Go forgive people who I love. Go forgive outrageously as you have outrageously been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, this is a sobering passage, a consequential passage. It feels like maybe the hardest thing we have to do following you. Lord, help us to love one another well, not thinking about ourselves first, but thinking about you and what you've done for us. We thank you that you don't leave us, that you don't just sit back and watch, but that you're with us and that you're engaged. I pray you'd be with me and my brothers and sisters and grow us in our faith, particularly this part of our faith, growing in forgiveness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.